because that story is very simple. We can all see the truth of it, can't we? But on the other hand, we're so blind to that story too because we always get caught up in the mentality of the Pharisee. Well, that story, we'll come back to it maybe a little bit later on because we are thinking about the story of the prodigal God, the prodigal son. Let me just uh, recap that story. Do you remember the father had two sons and the younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance now. In other words, I wish you were dead. Can I have what you have? Uh, So that I can go and live my life. And the father graciously does it, incredibly, doesn't he? He gives him his share of the inheritance. And the son goes off into a far country to live as he, exactly how he wants to live. And he squanders all the money he was given in wild living. And eventually he becomes poor and destitute. So he gets a job as a, as a, 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 a hand on a farm feeding the pigs. And he's hungry and he's miserable. And he says to himself, I had it better when I was at my father's house. I'm going to go home. And so he goes home, and on the, as he's on the way home, he's thinking to himself, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? My father's going to really disown me. He may not let me back in. I'll just say, can I just be like one of your hired servants? I'll start at a low position back in my father's house, and maybe I can get back into his good books. But as he comes home, what happens? The father sees him coming from afar, and he rushes out and welcomes the son home and he puts a robe on him and he puts a ring on him and he says, my son who was dead is now found. He's come back home and they throw a party for him back at the house. And he's delighted. I wonder how the youngest son must have felt at that point. Utterly, utterly broken by the father's love. Tears down his face, possibly. A, a welcome he never expected. And then to be restored And now, actually, when you think about it, that younger son is now in a wonderful relationship with his father. Much better than before. Much better than when he was growing up, where he just wished his dad would get out of the way and he could live his own life. Now, remember, that's a parable of ourselves with God. We so often want what God has, We so often want to live our lives our own way. We wish he wasn't a part of it. And we get lost and miserable. But actually, there's a way home. We're going to think about that. A way back to being in good relationship with God our Father. But, of course, there's another son, isn't there? Do you remember the other son? The other son, the older son, the older brother, he never left home. He was a really good son. He was Mr... He was Mr. Goody, wasn't he? Reverend Goody. He stayed at home, did all the right things, worked at the father's house, was obedient, probably worked an eight or six day um, in order to do all the right things, in order to please his father, in order to get the good things the father had to offer. And when he sees the the younger son come home, he's upset and angry, isn't he? He's upset and angry because, hold on a second... I've done all the right things, and yet the younger son is getting a warm welcome home. No, he should, he should be a hired servant. He should be way below me. I'm up here, he's down there. Let's get this right, in the right order, God, Father. And so he's outside in a huff, 
isn't he? He's out in the field. As the younger son's at home having a party with uh, the father, he's outside in a huff. Has anyone ever been in a huff before? I know you have because I've spent a lot of time with you. (laughs) And you've spent a lot of time with me. So we've all been in a huff, right? And when you're in a huff, you always feel like you're right to be in a huff. Don't you? No one goes, I shouldn't be in a huff, but I am in a huff. So let's just find a way. We all say, I'm in a huff, and I'm right to be in a huff. And he's outside. And he's not appreciating what is going on. It's not right. And the father comes out to him and says, come inside, please come inside. Your son is home. My, your brother is home. He was lost and he's found. Isn't that brilliant? He's like, no, it's not brilliant. It is good if he came back in the right way and did all the right things like me. This is not good. And the story ends there. We don't know what happens to the older brother. Does he go in or not? Can he get over his anger and the injustice of it all? And he's angry with his father. He actually resents his father. Lord, Father, I resent you because you're not doing what's right. Many people get like that with God. We think we're close to God because we're living close to him. We maybe go, go to church, we might be religious, we feel close to him in some ways, but we're actually really far. We're as far from the father as the younger son is when he was away. We just don't realise it. Okay, so that was the story, wasn't it? Um, he was in a half self-righteous, the older brother. Now, we thought last week about how both sons are lost. Both sons are lost. But today I want us to think about a little bit about how they came home, or at least how the younger son came home and how the older son might come home. It's all about homecoming. Because we thought last week there are a lot of lost people in this world, including ourselves. And coming home is extremely important. Um, Having listened to a lot of sermons in my time, this particular sermon illustration comes up in many people's different sermons because it's such a good one. So I'm going to share it with you today. Uh, It goes like this. Um, Most of you all know Ernest Hemingway, the author, American author. And he wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And in that story, he, he gave this illustration as part of the story. And it was, there was a father who had a son. And the son sinned against the father. They, they were a Spanish family, a Spanish father and a Spanish son. And the son was called Paco. And Paco sinned against the father and he ran away. And he was lost to his father. And the father is totally upset about it, completely upset. And he searches for his son, but he can't find him. And years pass by and he can't find him. Eventually he goes to Madrid, I think, where he looks for him and he still can't find him. So he decides, the father decides to put an advert in the newspaper. This was before emails and internet and all of that, in the newspaper, if you remember those things. Um, He puts an advert in the newspaper that simply says this, Paco, meet at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, all is forgiven. That's the message, isn't it? Paco, meet at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, all is forgiven. And so the father excitedly waits to see if he'll have that rendezvous with his son. And he goes to the hotel on Tuesday at noon, and lo and behold, he sees a crowd of 800 young men called Paco. <laughs> Isn't that an 
almost a heartbreaking story, really, isn't it? Because the point of the story is this. We all resonate with being a lost son or a lost daughter. We all want to come home. We all want to feel that sense of belonging and that place uh, back of purpose and meaning. Even if we don't know what that is, we sense it. So today we're going to be thinking about how we might help. As a church, how can we help all these Pacos come home? Okay, well, let's look again at the story of the younger brother for a moment. We thought about how he got lost. We're not going to get into that. But how does he come home? Well, we've noticed that he has a realisation that he is lost and destitute. He has a realisation. He realises that he's got things wrong. He realises that he needs to do something about it. He humbles himself, a bit like Mr Cash earlier, and a bit like the tax collector. He realises that he's made a mistake. Now that's a huge step. That's a huge step. Many people don't ever arrive at that step. Most of us have too much pride in our lives to acknowledge that we've messed up. So actually the younger son does something quite impressive, doesn't he? He has to face what he's done if he's going to return home. I want to speak for a moment about the word confession. We do it at every service. At the beginning of the service, we have a time of confession. And some of us, we go, oh, it's that time of confession and I better do that confessing thing. All right. But the point of it is, is to get us to have that same realisation that the younger son has. I've gone wrong. I've messed up. I don't get everything right. I shouldn't be proud about the things and who I am all the time. I need to come home. Like I said, many of us never actually get to that stage. We might say, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I get it, I'm not perfect. So I'll say sorry for the, the minor things I do. But until we get to a point, or those out there that are lost get to the point where they're like, I am completely lost. I cannot save myself. I can't turn this situation around. You see, a proud, a proud younger son would say, I know it's getting bad, but I think it might get better if I just work hard enough. If I just luck, if my luck just changes, if I make the right investment, if I meet the right person, if I make the right choices from here, I can get out of this situation. That's pride speaking. But the younger brother doesn't. He actually acknowledges, I am helplessly captive to my sin and my lostness. Few people arrive at that point. And until we do, even as a congregation even, we will never begin to be healed or come home or set free. That's a real truth in that. Until you can be really honest with where you're at, with God and with one another, you'll never come home. Now, why do I say with one another? Because it's easy to think you're being honest with God. God, I confess that I'm lost. But until we can be honest with one another about that, we're always going to be an older brother, aren't we? Hiding our sins hiding behind our good works, pretending that we're better than we are. We'll come to that later. So confession is really important, and the younger son does it. 
Now, one of the reasons perhaps the younger son left home in the first place and doesn't want to come home is maybe because he remembers what his older brother is like. One of the problems with people coming back to church is that they've understood they're lost, they're ready to confess and own up to I'm helpless, they want to find God, but they remember what church was like. And they think, I can't go back there. They're full of really good reverend goodies. And they're going to like tut at me. Or I'm not going to, I won't belong there. I won't know what to do. I won't feel at home because they're all good people. So can I say as a church, it's really important. We might, we're not lost anymore if we're found. We're with Jesus. We're home. But we need to embody a kind of home that does not smell of self-righteousness. If we're going to be a home for sinners to come to, we've got to be open ourselves about that. We're not very good at it, I'm afraid. We huff quite a lot. But we're not so good at saying, yeah, me too, come on in. I was once lost and now I'm found. In fact, I'm only found still because he's keeping me. Otherwise, I would be lost again. Humility. We need to be a church like that. And you will see, see, that's the test. When people come into our church, they go, oh, I'm with messed up people just like me. But I'm home just like these people. Wonderful. Okay. Then, of course, the lost people need to know where to go. How do they come home? See, many people are so lost now that they've never had an experience of church. They haven't even heard the name of God the Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. They're that lost, that forgotten. Well, again, I think that's where church comes in. We need to model to the world a better home than the ones they're trying to find out there. We need to be out there mixing with these younger sons in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our neighbourhoods, so that the world can see there's another home that I knew nothing about. When I was uh, at university, before I was a believer, I, um, I, I moved to London, and London's a big scary place when you're a teenager, and I felt a little bit lost. How am I going to find a home in all of this? And um, so I went, when I was at university, I went to the student union where they had all the stalls out, the freshers' fair, where they have all the stalls out of all the different clubs and societies you can belong to to help you kind of belong, to help you settle in, make friends, that kind of thing. So I tried a number of them because uh, I wanted to find a good group. And I tried the walking club and the squash club and, I don't know, the, the baking club. I, no, I didn't try that one. But whatever, I tried a few. I can't remember what I tried now. And they were good, they were okay, and I felt like I connected one or two people and it was helpful. But then someone came along to me, kind of, and invited me to church. Christian, I saw Christians on campus. I said, oh, there's something about that lot. And when I first went to the church that I went to, there was, and it was lots of students, lots of people, lots of every age, a church I'd never seen before, uh, never experienced before. I felt like I was coming home to a home I never knew anything about. 
and I was just taken. I belonged. Even though I didn't have a clue what half the stuff was about, I felt I could belong with these people. So that's what we need to do. We need to model, not just model, be the place that everyone has a nostalgia for but doesn't quite know what it is. Do you know that, that word nostalgia? As you get older, that word becomes more and more important to you. <laughs> you start to think back to the times when you felt at home. Even if when the reality was happening, you didn't actually feel like you were that much at home. You have this feeling, this calling back to a home, and you sometimes try to replicate it. I know, if I just move back to my hometown, or if I just have a house very similar to the one I grew up in, or if I just have that family set up the way I had when I was young, or whatever it is, everyone's looking for their home. But nostalgia never works. It is a lie, nostalgia. It's trying to find something that never really existed in the first place. And you never find it. But that's what's interesting about coming to church. It should be like nostalgic in the sense of, ah, found my home. So that's how we can help the younger brothers be that kind of home. Then we need to be also a church full of grace. We spoke about that a bit earlier. A church full of grace. See, when the younger son is coming home, what's on his mind? I'm going to be in trouble. I know I need to come home, but I'm going to be in trouble with my father. I'm going to have to grovel. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm going to have to pay him back because I'm going to have to work for him until I've paid it all back. That's his mentality. And then maybe I'll be safe and secure at home again. That's his mentality. Yet the father runs out to him and says, don't worry about any of that. It's all yours again. Come on home. I'm just glad you're here. Now that's so important that God receives us like that. That is the gospel. Because so many people out there think God is going to be angry with them. And that he's going to insist that we pay him back by good deeds, groveling, pilgrimages, religious worship, fasting, tithing, uh, helping out on the tea and coffee rotor, anything to get back in his good books. But that's not the gospel. That is atoning for your own sins and has got nothing to do with the love of God. You see, God says, I love you and I will atone for your sins. And that's Jesus, isn't it? That's Jesus on the cross. That's him saying, don't worry. I will atone for your mistakes. I will earn back what you have squandered. I will do all that so that you can come home. And we must model that. We must be that as a church. We must be a church filled with that kind of grace. In order that when the prodigals come home, they experience that kind of welcome. So we need to, as a church then, preach and teach and live out the true gospel. We must stick to the scriptures where the gospel is found. If we don't, we will wander off into our older brother mentality. 
Okay, that's the younger son. Just two, two or five minutes quickly on the, on the elder brother. Because he's lost. How do we bring the older brothers home and sisters home? Now, that, this is harder, actually, everyone. You ready? This is harder. Why? Because the elder brother is more blind than the younger brother. The older brother is having a really hard time seeing that he's lost. The younger son, his sins are obvious, aren't they? He can see it, the world can see it, everyone can see it. The older brother, it's hard to point to their, his sin, isn't it? It's hard to go up to him and say, oh yeah, you did that. You know, oh no, I didn't. He didn't. Oh, he's like this, and look at what a rebellious person he is, and look, what, look at the clothes he wears, and blah, 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 blah. You can't. Nothing sticks to him because he lives rightly. So he himself is blind to his own sins. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's really easy for churchgoers, particularly those who've been going to church perhaps for a very long time, to get into that mentality. To no longer, yes, we go, yeah, I'm not perfect. But we don't really see the state that our heart has got to. So he's blind. Do you remember when Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that scripture? Loads of people worry about that scripture and go, have I done it? Have I done the unforgivable sin? Lord, if I have, I'm really, really sorry. Don't know what it is, but I'm sorry. The unforgivable sin is simply this. You never ask for forgiveness. That's the unforgivable sin. You never asked him, so it can't be forgiven. You never came home. You never reconciled with the father, and so it is unforgivable. The older brother is in serious jeopardy and danger of that. He never reconciles with his own father because he never asks for forgiveness. He can't see his pride. See, his is a different form of pride than the younger son's. His pride is pride in his good deeds whilst failing to recognise the state of his own heart. He wants public recognition. He wants to be lifted up and exalted but is never prepared to humble himself. And this is the funny thing about the older brother is that they're secretly jealous of the younger brother. Because they go, they, their mentality is this. If I had known I could have got away with all that stuff and still received the inheritance, I would have done that. Why have I been slaving all this time being good when I could have just gone and squandered and sinned and done all that and come home? See, secretly that's what they want. That's why they're so angry. I've, who's been in that situation? And you see it all the time with religious folk, is that sometimes the lid comes off and they fall into gross sin. Because they've been keeping a lid on it, secretly wanting it, and they get fed up because the younger sons are coming home, so they just go and do it. But they don't come back as easy as this younger son either. That's another story. How can we help them? How can we help the older brothers? We need to do what the father does in the story. We need to plead with them. We need to go out to them. Please, come and join in church. You're on the fringe of church. Or you're in church, but you're not joining in in the joy of church. You've become huffing. We need to plead with them. 
come on in. Join the party. We need to challenge them. Something's not right with you. You're spiritually sick. Why aren't you happy with it? We need to pray for them. And then we need to do this. We need to not resist them when they attack you. You've got to not resist an older brother when they attack you. Because that's what happens to Jesus. It's the older brothers that killed Jesus in the end, wasn't it? And he doesn't resist them. Because he knows that it might be only after they've killed him that they will come to their senses. You remember after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, the apostles preach to the crowds that crucified Jesus. And he says, you crucified the Lord of glory. And many of them believe. Cut to the heart. So I think that's the way we win the older brothers. Just like the father does. He goes out and pleads with him. And maybe the, younger, the oldest brother attacks him. Maybe he says, I'm not having any of this. And he hits him. So we need to do that. And then finally, we mustn't let the older brothers dictate church life. We can't, the father cannot leave it on the older brother's terms. Okay, son, you're right. Let's stop the party. You're right. Punishment, sort it out. He doesn't. The party must go on for the younger brother is home. The older brothers cannot dictate church life. Because otherwise we're sunk. Otherwise we've given into self-righteousness. We've given into sin. We've given into pride. And we've lost the gospel. Okay, I'm going to end there. Next week we're going to be looking at the great love of the Father. And the week after that with the problem son, we're going to be looking at the great elder brother we have in Jesus Christ. Because it's not just about turning away from sin. It's about turning and coming to know God our Father and Jesus Christ being the best thing in the world. So more to come. Let's pray.